Good morning. It's uh, great to be here today. I hope that everyone had a wonderful Christmas and a happy new year. I'm excited to see where we go in 2022 with this church. Um, This morning, uh, I'm going to be using text from Genesis chapter 6. So if you want to go there, that's kind of where we'll be for a little while. Um, Obviously, it's up there. But Genesis chapter 6 through chapter 9, obviously not all of it, but we'll just be highlighting some passages. So if you want to turn there, um, go ahead. With the kind of recognition that it is a a new year, I wanted to acknowledge that 2021 was challenging uh, yet again. I find myself doing these sermons, uh, the the first of the year sermons, every year. And and I think now, if I have to keep doing them, I'll just start apologizing for the year that will come. Um, I'm going to (laughs) be... Because every year I get up here and I'm like, it's going to be a good one. And then uh, 2022 or 2020, rough year. 2021, challenging year. Uh, a lot of different things happen. We're you know, still navigating COVID. We're still uh, dealing with just the, the effects of that, how church moves forward in relation to COVID, how to navigate life. Uh, if you've got children, you're understanding that with school, starting back, like, here we go. Let's maybe do masking, maybe not. You know, even those words bring up kind of bad memories of 2021. And then this church, we, we've gone through some stuff in 2021 as well that was challenging, that was hard. But we find ourselves in 2022 now. And as I was studying for the sermon, I started reading uh, Rachel Held Evans' last book. If, you, if you're familiar with Rachel Held Evans, she passed away in 2019. Um, but individuals in her life collected the last piece of work that she was working on. It was a book called Wholehearted Faith that I would really recommend. But in the book, she references another book uh, by the name of Caitlin Curtis, a book called Glory Happening. And in that book, uh, Caitlin Curtis references a flood that happens in the Ozarks in 2015 called the Christmas Flood. And of this, Curtis writes, A flood is a funny thing. For all the grief that can come with it, it also brings a deep and full cleansing, wiping everything away to start again. New spaces, new grasses, spreading seeds, and digging up roots. Maybe the trees said, finally I can come fill my, uh, drink my fill. My roots have been thirsty for so long. And maybe the grass whispered, in the spring I will be greener than ever because this water has given me new life. I've found myself going back to that quote several, several times as I prepared for this lesson today because there's something that is powerful in the imagery of water that's used throughout Scripture. We see it over and over again, uh, specifically the, the text that we're going to look at in just a little bit, but we see it with the flood. We see it with baptism. We see it with rain. We see all these different elements of the, the cleansing nature of water, but also the destruction that can come along with it in order to restore things and to make them new and to rebuild. And this morning, I wanted to spend a little bit of time looking at another story that we often just look at as kids, the story of Noah's Ark. Now, I grew up fascinated with this story. Obviously, as as most kids do, you talk about a water zoo, I'm in. Um, I I didn't really want to focus a lot on the, the I guess the adult elements of the story, but like animals, two by two, let's go. Noah, questions, how are we feeding these things? What's the ventilation system like? And you know, and I, I had these questions, and bless my Sunday school teachers. I assume that uh, Miss Amber and Miss Allison deal with, you know, my child now with these ridiculous questions, but my Sunday school teachers growing up were just like, is Bryce's hand up again? Like, we don't need to worry about the fish. The fish are fine, Bryce. Like, 
it was like, the water animals, they're fine. Don't worry about them. But I was like, are they on the list? Were they on the manifest? We need to know. And I was just focused on that element of it. And I grew up watching this thing here. It was a PBS uh, production from 1989. And if you can see, the text is a little small, but it's voiced by James Earl Jones. Uh, music by Stuart Copeland. No idea who that guy is. Didn't have an impact on my life. But James Earl Jones voiced the depiction of Noah from this PBS 1989 uh, production. And I would watch it over and over and over again. And just imagine James Earl Jones's deep voice talking about the animals getting onto the ark and the, the flooding of 40 days and 40 nights. And I just, I would watch this over and over again as a kid. But if I'm honest with you, one of the things that I did at the beginning of this video was fast forward through all the bad stuff. I did not like the destruction. I didn't really like talking about how bad human beings were. And I would just push, this is a VCR. Kids, VCRs are these old school boxes um, that you've probably seen in like your parents' attic. I don't know. Um, but it was a VCR tape, but I would, I would zoom past all the destruction and all the wickedness, and I would go straight to the animals gone to the ark. And forever, like, that was my interpretation of the story. A, a weird dude named Noah who got to hang out with animals for 40 days and 40 nights, and then, if you know the story, then they just got off the animal. A very kind of rainbowy good story, if you look at it that way, and ignore all of the bad stuff that happens before. But when you ignore all of the bad stuff that happens before, you fail to see the restoration that, that is in the story. Uh, Ty Fennell is one of my best friends. I love Ty. Uh, he's a great guy. And Ty used to teach the teen class when I would have to go, uh, you know, travel or whatever. And I would always talk to Ty about this. I would look him in the eyes. I'd be like, hey man, here's the lesson that I want you to teach the kids. And, and Sophie's over here laughing because she knows. Ty would look me dead in the face and be like, okay, I'll teach that. And then he would never teach it. He would never. He didn't even touch it. And he would do this thing with teens called highs and lows. And if you're familiar with Ty, it's probably one of his favorite conversation pieces. But what he would do is he would just say, hey, how was your week? Tell me the highs of it and tell me the lows. And over the years, what we found out was how easy it was to talk about the lows. How fast we were to say, hey, I can tell you all the bad things that happened to me this week, this month, this, even this year. Um, we're, it's, it's so easy to do those things, but like when we're like, hey, how, what, what good was this week? What good came out of it? Like those are a little more difficult. And so it's, it's easy though at times to, to do that, right? And I think that's, that's kind of where I keep coming back to the story with Noah is we want to ignore the bad things, but we can't. Because when we ignore the bad things, we, we can't see the good. And often sometimes talking about the bad helps us recognize that good things are on the horizon and that good things are happening and in store. And so I invite you into the text this morning in Genesis chapter 6. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. And just imagine the young Bryce Kittinger just zooming past this as James Earl Jones tried to scare me. No thank you. Straight to the animals, please. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. The Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I've created, and with them the animals, the birds and the creatures that move along the ground, for I regret that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Now you're seeing this dark side of God, this mournful, regretful imagery of God that 
you know, talking about highs and lows. Like, we, we don't like to talk about God this way, but that's the God that we see in the story of Noah. Now, there's a reason why God is presented this way. It's because of the actions of humanity. In verse 11, now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. And I want to stop there because that's an important element in the story. Often when we, we think about violence in this context, we're thinking about, if you remember my last sermon, being punched in the face. We think of physical violence a lot. Um, it's, it's not really what that, the tone of this text is talking about. The, the word violence that's used here is used about 60 times in the Old Testament. And at its root, what it means is like a violence of the heart. And so you, you change the way you look at people. You no longer see them with value. You, uh, they're less than you. You disregard them. You don't care about them. You don't show them mercy. At, at its core, that is what's happening here. And what the text is trying to communicate is that at this point in history, human beings no longer viewed human beings as as individuals made in the image of God. Their value was gone. And when you start applying that layer of understanding in the Hebrew, you can kind of see this is why God is so disappointed. It's not necessarily the physical violence, uh, because the Old Testament God is a God of physical violence at times, but it's about the heart of the individuals that we're talking about. They no longer care about anyone else but themselves. They no longer see individuals made in the image of God. They are selfish. They are mean. They don't care. And so God is at this disappointment. So God, in verse 13, said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I'm surely going to destroy both them and the earth. He says in 17, I'm going to bring floodwaters to the earth to destroy life under the heavens. Every creature that has breath, excuse me, in it, excuse me, such an emotional text for me. Uh, everything on earth will perish, but I will establish my covenant with you. Now, this is another element that we have to stop and look at that we often glaze through to get straight to the animals. Because God is doing something here that <clears throat> is different. It's unique. One of the things that disappoints me the most when individuals preach on the story of Noah's Ark is the lack of recognition of other flood stories in other civilizations. Um, there are. Every civilization that has ever lived on this earth has some form of flood story. Uh, the ancient Indians, they have flood stories. The Greeks, they have flood stories. Probably the most popular one that you're familiar with is the Epic of Gilgamesh, the Babylonian, the Mesopotamian story of the flood. And in all of those stories, you have a, a similar event that's happening where floodwaters are filling the earth. There's always going to be some form of a hero uh, Gilgamesh, you have Noah in this story, but there's always going to be some hero that is countering the decision of the divine. And, and what we do often in, in the Christian world is we just we look at Noah and we we ignore that there's differences, there's other stories that are happening in other civilizations. And when we do that, we we downplay what God is doing in the story that makes God different. Because in the other stories, you have a divine God that's going up against this hero, and the divine God is like, I'm going to do this again. I'm mad now, I'm going to be mad later, and I'm going to destroy you later. It's this continuous struggle with humanity. But what God is doing here in the story is he's, he's, he's diverting from that plan. He's, he's, he's different. <clears throat> the God of the Hebrews, the God the Hebrews served and told their children the story over and over again as they were kids, it's different because this God does something that is unique in comparison to the other stories that these people would have heard. Because this God is already making covenants with Noah. To say, I'm not going to do this again. I'm, I'm choosing you, Noah, because you were good. 
And we don't see that in the other stories. Because this God is going in a different direction. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wives and your sons' wives with you. You are to bring into the ark two of all living creatures, male and female, to keep uh, them alive with you. This is where my Sunday school teachers were just like, let's just move past this so we don't have to talk to Bryce. Because uh, it was like, let's talk about this. You know, we have the animals there. It's, this is like their jobs now. It sounds kind of terrible. In the 1600th year, <clears throat> 600th year of Noah's life, on the 17th day of the second month, on that day, all the springs of the great depth burst forward, and the floodgates of the heavens were opened, and rain fell on the earth 40 days and 40 nights. And this is normally kind of when I got a little more comfortable with James Earl Jones' depiction of the story. I didn't like it, the rain, but I was okay with it because uh, I'd seen it so many times. I knew how the story ends, right? And, and moving forward into chapter 9, <clears throat> verse 1, Then God blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. The fear and dread of you will fall on all the beasts of the earth and on the, all the birds of, in the sky, on every creature that moves along the ground, and on all the fish in the sea. They are given into your hands. Everything that lives and moves about will be food for you. Just as I give you the green plants, just as I gave you the green plants, I now give you everything. Now this is a part of the story that we, we normally end when we're talking to kids. We do the rainbow stuff in just a little bit. But this is kind of where the story ends for a lot of people. We quit focusing on it, and we're like, oh, this is really neat. Noah exited the ark. And, and as a kid, like, this is where, like, James Earl Jones is like, look, we've done it. What a great ride. Rewind this thing. Let's do it again. And, and as a kid, like, I love that element. But I ignored that God is commanding Noah to do something. And that's a, a huge part of the story. Because God is, is not commanding Noah, hey Noah, now that you've been on the ark for 40 days and 40 nights, uh, you've been trapped with your family, you've had all these animals, let's just be honest, you know it stunk, it had to be terrible. But it's like you've had this really weird and dramatic and scary, crazy event that happened that you experienced. Just get out of the ark and hang out Noah and just hang out with these animals for a little bit. That's not what God tells Noah to do. What God says is, Then God blessed Noah and his son, saying to them, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. Now, I don't want to get into like, the awkwardness of this family reunion that's going to happen in just a few short generations. But, <clears throat> but the, the larger point, some of you laugh, thank you. But um, I was told not to tell that joke anyway. But what, what God commands Noah to do is to start rebuilding, to start restoring. He doesn't tell Noah to sit around and look at this boat. What he tells Noah is to start doing things to make this earth new again. Start rebuilding. Start the process of restoration. This is where God deviates from the other stories that we have into the different civilizations. Is this God is a God of restoration. It's not a God of destruction. Yes, destruction comes with the flood, but the larger part of the story is the restoration and the covenant that God brings alongside Noah in verses 12 through 15, and God said, This is the sign of the covenant I am making between me and you and every living creature with you, a covenant for all generations to come. I've set my rainbow in the clouds, and it will be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. Again, this is what makes the Hebrew God different. It's not just about 
the destruction. It's about the restoration. And it's about that promise that God will never do this again. The other civilizations didn't have this promise, but the Hebrew people did. They knew that they were serving a God that cared, a God that rebuilt, a God that restored what was broken. And we serve that God too. In seminary, um, you're, you're told not to preach on certain things. And some of those things are, are politics and sports. And so I thought I would just do both right now. Um, and so uh, sports is, you know, one of those things, like not everybody likes sports, and I don't, I don't know anybody that doesn't like politics. But um, anyway, I, I thought about this story recently. If you're familiar with kind of the tornadoes that, that took over, that, um, that happened probably a few weeks ago that started in northeast Arkansas, went into Tennessee, and then uh, went into Kentucky for about 200 miles. Uh, and I was telling somebody the other day that, like, the, the kind of the irony of it, like, that's literally, like, the path that we take home is, is that direction. And um, it was this powerful, I think, the F5 tornadoes. We've got a few pictures here, Rob, of uh, kind of the communities that I'm familiar with, Mayfield, Kentucky, and um, Dawson Springs. I think that's downtown Mayfield. And the next one might be Dawson Springs. Um, Dawson Springs, the one that's closest to where Whitney and I are from, uh, they're estimating they withstood about 75% of all the city's infrastructure is gone, like houses and you know, downtown, all that stuff. Um, took the Dairy Queen away, which is if you're familiar with like a small town community, that was, is very difficult. But a lot of destruction. Um, I think over 70 lives were lost in this, this tornado. And there's one more picture. I think it's downtown Mayfield is the next one. Um, maybe not. I can't. Oh, sorry. Anyway, don't worry about it. If, if you don't have it, that's fine. Um, I'm like looking into these lights, so I can't really necessarily see. So I trust you. Um, <clears throat> but these, these tornadoes, they, they stayed on the ground for about 200 miles. Uh, just devastation and destruction. And like hearing the stories of individuals that have gone to clean up and, and pick up just the, these houses and these memories. And then even stories of like people picking up mail from like 60 plus miles away just the tornado it was just it's it's crazy and even driving back for christmas seeing the path of this tornado is still there but as i've I've talked to people that um you know have helped with the cleanup or even just watch news stories and stuff the thing that has been the most profound in all of this is how fast people were to start rebuilding Uh, they, they started clearing areas after they kind of assessed all the damage it was it was time to pick up. It was time to clean up. It was time to rebuild. And, and that's kind of not the, the politics or the basketball thing. But um, a few weeks ago, after the tornado, Kentucky played my beloved Kentucky Wildcats. I don't know if you guys know this. I'm from Kentucky. But uh, my, my beloved Kentucky Wildcats played Western Kentucky. Um, and, and it was a kind of a regional thing that doesn't ever happen. And so it was really special. And the schools made it into this uh, they're going to give back to the tornado victims, and it was this really special moment uh, of the state coming together. And what they did was, and we'll have a video in just a second, was the governor came. Now, this is the politics side of it. Kentucky is a very red Republican state, and tell because they have a, a blue Democrat governor. And so Andy Brashear uh, is from the Dawson, his family's from the Dawson Springs area, so they brought him out to talk to the crowd. Um, to thank them for giving and to kind of let's, let's rebuild the state. And when Andy Brashear, a Democratic governor, walked onto this, the court at this game, um, I don't know if you know this, he was booed. Straight up booed for like a, a full minute. Just when they saw the guy walking out there, booed him. 
Um, it was just really this weird thing, if you think about it, because one, this was clearly not a political rally. Um, so we're, just, we're booing because you disagree with this individual's politics. But I think, Kendall, we have the clip. I want to show you what happened at the end of his uh, short talk at Rupp Arena. And what people need to know tonight is that you are committed to not just being with them this week and this month, but in the years to come. So if you are going to stand with these families, stand up and let them hear you in Dawson Springs, in Mayfield, in Greenland, in Bowling Green, and all around this Commonwealth. We love you. Thank you very much. So I wanted to show that. It's about 26 seconds long. But I, I wanted to emphasize at the beginning of this, we have booing. We have just complete rejection of this human being. And at the end of it, it's a standing ovation, and not necessarily for the person, but for the restoration. See, people can, can put differences aside if you're rebuilding, if you're working towards something good. You can say, you know what, I didn't vote for you, I, didn't, I don't agree with you politically, but I agree with what you're doing because I know that you're rebuilding. I know that you're trying to restore something that was broken, something that was damaged, something that was, in this case, destroyed by a powerful tornado. People gravitate towards that. And I found that video to be profound for a lot of different reasons. But that's the one that I kept coming to, is that we can push differences aside if we're willing to work towards a common good of rebuilding, of restoring. The prophet Isaiah writes this in Isaiah 43. Forget the former things, do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up, do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. I wanted this morning to walk through the story of Noah, uh, to talk about the destruction in Kentucky and to land with this passage of Isaiah, because I think that's where God is, is leading us in 2022. He's calling us to be people of restoration. That people, we don't ignore the things that have happened to us in the past year. But we look at that and we say, look, yes, that was difficult, but God is bringing us into something new. Yes, that was challenging, that was frustrating, maybe that was sad or disappointing, but God is creating something new in the new year. And so my challenge to you this morning as we exit and as we enter into our, our regular lives, uh, for us as, with kids, just in a few days, we'll go back to school, all this stuff gets back to normal. But my call, my challenge to you this morning is to be a people of restoration because people can gravitate towards that. People are willing to push differences aside if you're willing to work for something that's good, that's, that's new, that restores what has been broken. If we do those things, then we are living in the teachings of Isaiah 43 as well, about God making a way in the wilderness and streams in the way, saying God will provide a path for people who seek restoration. And that is our call, and that is my challenge to you this morning.